You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, Alex. Hey, Nick. Hey, man. Can I ask you a question? Yes, please do. What's the longest you've ever gone without working out? How old am I? You are 32, I believe. 30, 32, yeah. yeah, 32 years old. So a couple months probably. <laughs> great, 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 great. It's one of those things that I never integrated into my lifestyle. I was not very athletic growing up, as anybody can attest. There's video records. Uh, M&A loves watching the videos of me trying to play soccer when I was like six because I would stand in the soccer goal and the game would be going on, right? There, you know, lots of kids running around trying to score whatever, and I'd be practicing my karate moves, good stance, throwing punches, throwing kicks, and then the ball would just come by into the goal. There's one video of, of the kid on my team or kid on the other team, whoever, who like came up and like pushed me, like play, like please play, and I just I refused to. I mean, that's better than me. You know what I did on the soccer team? What did you do? I mean, I threw the ball at the kids' heads. Did you? <laughs> were you the Were you the violent kid? Yeah. Were you the angry violent kid? Yeah, it's because uh, it's because it they're all white. Oh, were you like the? Were, did you feel out of place? It's because they, gr- they were up. white. It's because they were white. And as I sat there wondering, what could he mean with his racially charged comments? It occurred to me. Cue the theme song. Little Justin. Little Justin. Little Justin. There's something in there. Back, back to the racial stuff. I can I can do something with that. It's back. No, but ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome, welcome to Little Justice. That tr- that story, by the way, is true. I was kicked off my soccer team because I did throw the ball at. Ki- I got angry. I had I had a lot of anger issues that I took out on the soccer team, on the basketball team. I also so didn't. You, you you can't touch the soccer ball with your hands. I know, unless you're the goalie. I remember this. So did you? You still, regardless, you picked it up. <clears throat> And you chucked I just, it at someone's I head. would just get frustrated. I would just get really mad. Like, and I couldn't play. Like, I also wasn't good at sports. So, like, you know, and, and sports is a learned skill. I did not want to put my time into that learned skill. You know, that said, as the years went on, uh, you know, I, tr- I tried my hand at working out. Uh, I do work out pretty regularly now. I feel like it's, it's hard because I feel like I have some sort of body dysmorphia. Like, do you, do you know what I mean? Like, here's the thing. When you look at yourself in the mirror, you're you're probably a lot better looking than you give yourself credit for. Mm-hmm. But because of the images that we see, you know, on a daily basis and, you know, the fact that we're all slaves to those images, you know, oftentimes we find ourselves crapping on ourselves unnecessarily. And that is most of my life. For instance, I the last time I worked out was Saturday. I'm mad at myself 
that, you know, I haven't worked out since Saturday, but it's been a super busy week. It's been, you know, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, where we are today. It's super busy and I was going to work out today, but yeah, you've been exercising your work ethic, my work ethic and my scheduling powers. Uh, so you but, just need to work on changing your, your perspective. I think I do. No, no, no. That's absolutely, I, I I'm the kind of guy who gives himself shit about having uh, a nightcap. If you know what I mean? Like if I haven't worked out, I'm like, Oh, I can't do that. It's like, you know what? Just have the nightcap. But I don't want to do that. I don't. I th- I feel like that's that's too much. That's going overboard. Meanwhile, I'm also pouring ounces of syrup into my oatmeal. Do you know what I mean? Like, so th- it's all very fucked up. It doesn't. None of it See, makes sense. You eat you eat oatmeal and you tell me about how you're eating oatmeal as a way of like I'm eating oatmeal. Like this is healthy. I'm being good. But but you're pouring ounces of syrup into it at the same time. Yeah 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 this is like yeah, the story yeah. i'm just gonna blow up your spot right now this is about this, like the story you told me yesterday yeah i saw i posted a picture of you uh we have a, a live cast tonight oh yeah yeah we're gonna talk about that on, on the live cast too continue we'll, we'll talk about it but so i had to make a, a poster image so i looked for the most embarrassing photo of you i could find and yeah. and there's there's a brief phase in your life somewhere yeah. between, between it was seen, ages, senior like year of college 20 and 21 yeah somewhere yeah. in there where you just kind of ballooned a little bit. You became a little, a little chub bit. monster. A little bit. Uh, and I was like, ah, that's pretty funny. The reason that you gave me for that is that you had begun to, <laughs> you'd begun to adopt that you needed to exercise, yeah. um, but didn't yeah. know how. So you were just, you just started drinking muscle milk. <laughs> Accurate. I just started without, to, I without the exercise to go along with it. So you're just drinking this like pure protein. Yeah. <laughs> like, and yeah. You, you, yeah. And that's I didn't. Pretty I, funny. It's ridiculous. It's rid- I mean, and again, I'm the I'm the kind of person I don't like to ask. Like I hate to, I hate to ask. Oh, I, I have to, I like to know. Like so, I'm just gonna assume that if I hear something, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna vet it for myself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that was definitely that phase where I did not vet it for myself, and thusly, right, uh, just added on some pounds. But uh, you know, I survived. Here we are. We're back, and we got a We're really back. good theme. We got a really good theme today. I'm really excited about this theme. Um, yeah. Well, so know. every now and then, every we're a movie podcast. We are first a movie and podcast. foremost, but yeah, yeah. you come from theater. We're on the Broadway Podcast Network, so every now and then we do we do dip into this territory. We do. And I think that it gives you a moment to shine because I'm obviously I'm smarter than you. I'm more well well versed than you. Um, yeah. 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 I make Keep more going poignant points than you. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Better looking. Yeah, it, the yeah. list goes on and on. But when we hit theater, uh, I'm I'm a little out in the cold here. Ooh. So yeah, set it set it up. I'm 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 riding in your wake on this one. I love that. I love that you're riding my wake. I think that that's a great wake to ride in. Um, so we wanted to do uh, stage to screen adaptations, and we realized that that's kind of not necessarily a one part episode. So uh, you know, because you have plays that have been a- adapted into movies, and then you also have musicals. And the the movie musical is its is a, it's its own thing in itself. And I think the best way to phrase this, I'm gonna put, I'm gonna say rather than the best, because we don't we rarely do the best on here. I definitely want to say our favorites, mm-hmm. our favorite music movie musicals, uh, or our favorite stage to screen adaptations. Part one, we will deal with the musical. Part two, we will deal with the play. And I think that that is the way to go. But it's it really is an interesting thing when you are, especially when you're adapting a musical because musicals you know i was just having this conversation with a buddy of mine who i wish could have been on this as a guest on this on this episode uh and we'll have to bring him back we'll have to do like a part two of movie musicals and bring him back because he 
uh, is a genius at this in his own right. His name is Aaron Albano, and he is just uh, one of the sweetest people I know. Also, somebody with Broadway credits up my, you know, my 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 arm. Um, he is been in the game for years and years and years currently plays Samuel Seabury in Hamilton on tour and uh but Aaron is a kind of an aficionado of a lot of movie musicals and you know we were talking about this today like it really musicals truly are a craft unto themselves mm-hmm. and I I have I have for a long time I'll admit like not ignored the craft but just like just not considered the craft of, of a, of a musical. And, and, you know, like, and even as someone who has written a musical, you know, is writing one right now, like they really are a specific genre and you have to know the rules in order to break the rules. And you have to really kind of, you know, find your way in. Let me, let me ask you a question. So in in your perspective, and obviously this is, this is going to be different for everybody is a musical because because a musical carries its emotional weight in its music, right? Like the story is told through song and sometimes like the lyrics don't even need to make sense for you to understand what's going on. Would, would you say that a musical, a stage musical is closer to, uh, its storytelling is closer to a play or closer to like an opera? In in terms of a movie musical, you mean? or a, No, no, no. A stage musical. A stage musical. It, de- it depends entirely on the musical. I think there are so many musicals that that borrow heavily from opera and operetta. Like one of the things that I love, um, you know, if you if you ever listen to South Pacific, which is low key one of my favorite musicals, the entire you know, there's no real you know, so many musicals say you know you got to have an opening number. Well, South Pacific breaks that entirely. South Pacific songs, I think the brilliance of it is that they you know, and, and it comes. I mean, South Pacific was based on a play, I believe, Tales of the South Pacific, but it comes from. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna fact check that to make sure I'm not, I'm not an idiot because I could be an idiot right now. But I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Tales of the South Pacific. But the beauty of the opening uh, of South Pacific is that it literally is a scene, and they they wrote the scene first, and then out of that came the songs. Like the songs come very much plot driven, and that's, I mean, that's honestly with a lot of Rodgers and Hammerstein. Like the songs are incredibly plot driven, and you're not just they're not just numbers for numbers sakes. They are right. numbers that develop organically. And that is a very operatic thing, right? Opera where the entire piece is sung through where you have recit and you have, you know, song in, you know, an opera and opera enthusiast could definitely tell you more about this than I could. But what I will say is that, you know, the songs are the story and oftentimes in, especially in modern musicals. And this is a, a trope that I hate. There is nothing that I hate more than this when a song is in there because that's it's time for that song rather than a song that develops naturally out of the, the, the mood and the scene and the need of the piece. You know, there's kind of this trope right now. There was this trope in the nineties when you had all these kind of pop chamber musicals like ragtime and, and, uh, and, and, and others like that were like, end of act one was your gospel number, right? Every end of act one was your gospel number. And that was like the big thing. And, and it's like, I mean, if it works, sure, but also why? Why do you need that? Like, why is that the thing? Or like, like you know, if you have a, if you have an actor in your show or an actress in your show who is kind of a name, but they're in a featured role, give them, give them a, a number at the top of Act Two. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, why? I mean, I, I think in the last few decades, uh, art across the board has broken away from from needing as much of a framework in its creation. You know, back back 
if you look at like classical music, for instance, right? Classical music was was developed and enjoyed and criticized based on what classical music should be, right? There's there's rules to an aria. There's rules to uh, a canon. You know, the the music should be doing something within a very specific framework, even to like blues, um, things where where like you follow a certain set of of rules for it and and i'm sure opera and musicals like if you if you dug into it like especially back in the day like yeah like that's just what you did because that's that's what the form called for and i think over time things have people have have felt a little braver in in branching out and and you know trying to find some new ground maybe i'm wrong about that i don't no, know no. what do you well think? and to no and to your point to be fair i think one of the one of the things that i you know i'm just remembering and by the way tales of from the south pacific is a book it was adapted from a book, book. Not, not a play but um i was in but, south pacific in high school were you who'd you play I was i did like a random sailor i love that i love that i was in south pacific in elementary school you know you beat me i, I was in, a little mermaid in elementary school of course you were i played a sailor again i don't know what it was Listen, make a good people th- look at you and they say, you belong on a boat far out, <laughs> far away from people. Um, no, but I think, I think that, you know, if you, you look, if you, if you trace back the musical to its cabaret, not cabaret, to its um variety show roots, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Then, yeah, of course you have songs in there that are just to showcase the performer. I personally, I don't, if, if I'm seeing a musical and it's not story driven, I'm already out. I'm like, I yeah. don't. I don't care about this um, because there's ways to do it where it can still be a variety show esque, but also give you story. And, and I think that that is the challenge, but I think that that is a good challenge, you know? So it, it really does come down to uh, you know, your preference and what you love, but, but the, but all this to say the movie musical is, is a hard bat to swing. So we're not just talking about movie musical. We're talking about a movie musical based on a stage musical, right? Somebody yes, who's taken, taken the story from the stage and transplanted it onto film, which is a harder bat to swing. And you think so, it's a harder bat to swing? I do. I think because I think that if you have a if you have a if you have a musical that you are a movie that you are writing as a musical, then that form does not have to be adapted. You don't. You're taking something that was one thing, right. and you're taking something that that it did not exist before, and and you are putting it into this form. So you can follow the rules of of moviedom. Right. With a stage musical, you have to account for the fact that. At the basic level, stage is auditory. We hear before we see. So the stage version is written to be heard, right? It is it is written to be heard first. Movies are written to be seen. And thusly, you know, with it with a with a stage musical, like like for instance, I kind of gave you a, a little uh red herring here because I, I texted Alex last night and I told him, You're gonna hate me for for what I'm watching. And I was gonna choose this. Until you guessed what it was, and I said, "Nope, actually, I'm not going to go with this one." Oh, I was going to do. Just to, I I thought maybe I shouldn't say. I was like, "Well, no one has to know that I." Yeah, I was going to do it just to piss you off. It was going to be. It was going to be cats. Um, I, I I had never seen cats, and <laughs> and I wanted to watch cats, and I was like, "Ooh, let me just see." And here's the thing: like, uh, Andy Blankenbuehler, who is probably the best, one of the best choreographers of our time, uh-huh. uh, choreographed this movie. Um. You know, he is also the choreographer of Hamilton. I'm a huge, huge fan of his work. And I will say his and I I was I'm sending him an email today. Like his work in this movie is incredible. I really do. And and as someone who doesn't know dance, I'm sure that there are I'm sure that there are people who are, you know, um, very much in the cat's world who 
you know, are looking at this, this movement and being like, well, that's not what we did on stage. What I will say for, for the story that I saw being told or being attempted to be told, I loved what he did movement wise. I thought it was just very inventive and fun. Because I don't know how it works is cats. I assume Lion King is another show that's like this is, is because it's such an institution does the blocking ever really change? Or when you go see cats on stage, is it the almost the exact same cats that you're, you would so have seen five So there was the original cats that was in the West End and then it, and then, uh, and that Judy Dench was actually going to be in um, until she tore her Achilles. Classic Dame. Classic, classic Dame Judy. And then she uh, bounces from that and Elaine Page comes in. Uh, I believe, I believe that it's, I, I think she was supposed to play Grizabella and, and Elaine, who sings Memory. And then Elaine Page comes in and, and takes it the world by storm. And then it transferred to Broadway. And that choreography was set. And that was the, like, the, once it was on Broadway, that was the choreography that you saw for the next That's it. 10, 15 years. Then with the revival that happened three or four years ago, Andy came in and it was kind of half the original choreo and then half Andy's stuff. And Andy's stuff, if you've ever seen Hamilton or if you've ever seen In the Heights, it's very, like, again, I'm not a dancer, but I, I can only describe what I feel when I watch it. It's very like, uh, like it's like watching somebody's brain on fire. Like it's very um, jer- jerky is like such a crude way of describing it. But like he, like he definitely steals from from hip hop a lot. Like he's def- in a great way. He's definitely like yeah. a lot of like you know very like jerky into a smooth movement um, that like makes you feel what the, like it, it, it actually to me worked really well on supposedly feline bodies. I was like, oh yeah, that's that's fun. You know, and this movie, I think, was completely Andy. And, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong. It was interesting to watch because I'm not even going to say whether it was good or bad. What I will say is, like, it just showed me, yeah, translating, first of all, translating that musical onto screen is the most ridiculous job you could ever have. <laughs> um, because the musical itself is so abstract. And the fr- yeah. within the first 10 minutes of it, I was like, oh, this should have been animated. Um, like, not not to knock on anything that was done, but it was just like... This would be so like, and not even like a CGI Pixar animation. I'm talking like old school Fantasia, like right. it, because it's just so fantastical. And they went the opposite. They direction. went the, uh, they went the exact opposite. They try. It was like that Tom Hooper thing where he tries to make it real, and it's like this is not real. Like this is it, and and it shouldn't be. Like that's the thing when you see it in in a stage, you're like, you kind of buy the conceit because it's so theatrical, right? that you're able to be like, yeah, these are not cats. Like we're not trying to believe that these are cats. These are human beings right. doing amazing movement. Um, well, so speaking of Tom Hooper and, and musicals, the other thing that I thought maybe you would choose, and I guess you didn't because I, did I also addressed it, was Les Mis. Yeah. The Les Mis movie with Russell Crowe and, and Hugh Jackman, uh, which a bit of Little Justice trivia here, the very first time we ever tried to do this show back Way, oh, way back. Oh, God. In the day. I hope the nobody very ever hears when, it. We were like, oh, we'll review movies as they come out and whatever. Oh, uh, the God. very first one we did was Les Mis. Uh, I think we, we found a copy online somewhere and it, it had stayed up and we got rid of it quickly because it's so. Yeah, it, it was really, just. Yeah, it was, it was, it was negative. <laughs> but same director doing uh, a movie musical that's meant to be people. And so bringing, bringing, and it's historical and it's kind of moody. And so bringing that to film, do you think that that worked? I mean, it did. It was a. Ter- it was kind of a terrible film, but it still worked better, I think, than Cats probably It did. worked better. But I think, I think the thing, you know, thinking back to that movie, and I had granted, I haven't seen this movie in years. But thinking back to that movie, I think the thing that like really 
just took me out of it was like it was almost like he couldn't decide it, there was there were so many there were stylized sets and there was realistic mm. sets and there was like there was just it was very much the same with cats it was like decide what your world is i'm very confused on what your world is and that's taking me out of it and also here's the other thing i want to say about tom hooper specifically the pre-record in a musical okay when you the idea of you know the actors singing live yeah on set versus the pre-record Here's what I want to say about that. I am a trained singer. I've been singing for 10 plus years professionally, getting paid to do it. Singing is hard. Singing is really hard for those of us who sing eight shows a week, let alone people who can sing really well, but are singing while running around, doing sword fights, doing all this. It takes a lot of stamina. And it is really unfair to put actors in a situation. Like I watch Russell Crowe in, in Les Mis. And here's the thing. I still think Russell Crowe is an amazing actor. I think he has like a Humphrey Bogart like pulled in like just gruffness that that works on camera. And that he is just so wonderful. And he can sing. He was in a band for 12 years. But when you're putting him in a situation where you're having him sing music that is like not easy music to sing. Yeah. And you're having him do it amidst a like a all the moving parts of a film set. That's very hard. Well, so do you do you think it was a mistake for Tom Hooper because they recorded that music on set, right? And usually they record it in a sound booth with the actors, and then you yeah. kind of pantomime it. Uh, but for Les Mis, if I remember correctly, they wanted to record them singing in person. Um, yeah. Do you think I, that that was a failed experiment with Russell Crowe? Like, would it have been I, different? In a I don't think it was a failed experiment. I think that the lesson learned is if you if you have a Hugh Jackman who has who has the 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 muscles to do that, absolutely, go for it. Boom, yeah. you're in. But with but there is nothing wrong with a pre-record. There's ab- right. in, in fact a pre-record frees up the actor because then they're not worried about the tech like. Like watching him, I just, I was like, I was like, it just seemed like he went to so many vocal coaches and they all gave him so many different things. And it's like, dude, at the end of the day, what we're, you know, what we're missing is your performance. And that's what we want to see. And, mm-hmm. and so I'm like, yeah, I, I just don't think you should hold any actor to that. I think it's like, if an actor feels more comfortable recording in the booth, let him record in the booth. If they feel more comfortable singing on set, let them sing on set. Do you know what I mean? But like, understand that it's a very individual thing. And especially for a movie musical, you need to meet these actors where they're at. Yeah. And the other, and that, that speaks to another part of it, which is like with a stage to screen adaptation of a musical, there are elements to which you really have to, you really have to think about just like the fact that it's not like, you know, uh, Lindsay Ellis, who does uh, a, a bunch of amazing kind of analysis videos, did a great video on movie musicals i believe and she talked about when susan stroman adapted the producers and susan stroman basically just put a camera in front of her stage play and filmed it Mm -hmm. and it was i mean i love that movie it's like i love the original movie i love that movie i think they're both hysterical but there is a disservice done to the story because yeah it is just a staged musical right and you can tell pretty immediately that that's what's going on that that's what's happening as opposed to something where you really think it through and you know i think i think this wasn't the movie i chose but i think the 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 example that showed how to do this the best and I, it's no yeah. it's no denying it was was rob marshall chicago that was that was the time when we said oh actually we can do this and it can be an all one succinct world and we can make it like a true prestige picture and make sense mm-hmm. 
and be wonderful, but like justify the Broadway of it all. And, right. and, and, and that it worked for that specific story because that specific story was about a disillusionment and, 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 you know, believing your own hype and what fame does to your brain. And so you put the musical numbers inside her brain and all of a sudden it's this really wonderfully artsy film about Chicago, which is like, if you've ever seen the show, Chicago's not that deep. Like the movie is much deeper than the musical. He found a way to add on to the story. And that's what, when I, when I was choosing my choice for the best musical movie or the best stage to stage to screen adaptation musical, that was my thing was like, what is a musical that I feel has takes, takes the baton from the stage version and runs with it. So before we get into choices, just because I know our listeners are probably going to want to hear your opinion on it specifically, because you spent so much time with the show, it's technically a stage to screen thing, but it's screen on stage. Uh, what, what was your reaction to uh, the Hamilton film are you ready for this yeah have not watched it have not watched it so have you did this show twice a day for two or three years yeah 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 is it just because you couldn't handle it i'm not ready to watch it yet like it's very it's it's this really weird thing with hamilton specifically where it is still very very close like it's it's still like a very raw part like of the relationship or something yeah and it's like i just i just i can't go back and it's, i know that sounds strange to say but you have to understand no, how much sense how much i put into this freaking play and 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 i haven't seen that cast perform it in five years and you know that was the cast that when i was coming in i saw you know so it i, I i'm very excited to watch it at some point it will not be during this quarantine um did you uh, did you watch it uh we didn't get all the way through but not because we weren't enjoying it. Um, yeah. I, I think it was, I'd seen it a couple times. Uh, thanks to you, I was able to secure myself tickets. Yeah, you know. Um, it it didn't do anything new, right? I think it was, it was a good opportunity for everybody to be able to see it because obviously it's a very tightly guarded show um, in terms of, you know, if you can't see it in person, you can't see it. So I think to, to finally expose people to it, I think it was a little... The timing's a little unfortunate of its release because I think that that the the messaging of it doesn't quite stand up to what we're going through right now uh, in the country. Not not that it doesn't address things, but I think that if it was written now, it would amplify certain things that as it stands, it just doesn't. So it it felt yeah. a little bit incomplete. That's been a, and that's been a conversation. You know, it's so we actually talked about this with Lynn, like on um on the other my other show that shall not be named on the show. Uh, no, but we talked about like yeah, once you put a piece of art out there, especially like a movie or a stage play or musical, like that thing, it doesn't. You know, TV shows grow with the times. You know, these things are what they are yeah. and they speak to the moment that they're made in. And there is only so much you can do. That said, you know, I think I think it is interesting to, to I think it would be interesting to watch it in these circumstances and be like, mm, how does how does this incredibly mm-hmm. Obama era piece stand up to what we're facing? Right. Now? You know, and I, I don't know. I don't know. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So, well, uh, eventually you'll have to watch it and we'll have to. Well, let's talk. We can have. Maybe maybe we should do like a live. Like we should we should watch it together and talk about it and just record. I actually, as I we actually think it. that would be. Let us know if you want us to do that. Tweet at us at Little Justice Pod. See that. See that. See that. I worked it in. Yeah, that's pretty worked nice. It in. Tweet pretty us nice. at Little Justice Pod or. Special announcement, get at us on our new Instagram. Yeah, thank you for finally setting that up. Shut up. Lil Justice Pod, L-I-L-J-U-S-T-I-C-E Pod on Instagram. Come hit us up. Let us know if that's what we should do. You want to hop in? I I, I have an inkling. Do you know what it is? I'm trying to think. So I, I went to look I, because I'm not so versed in movie yeah, musicals. Yeah. I... I looked at lists, yeah, yeah. right? Sometimes when I can't figure it out, I go to like, well, what's the internet say? The top 10, whatever. And I realized like, there's really not a huge selection pool. Stage to screen adaptations, um, yeah. Stage to screen of, of musicals. Uh, once you once you include plays, it it obviously broadens. But knowing our individual tastes... Oh, and you I, know exactly what mine I is. Think, I think we might have landed on the same one just because I'm trying to think what else it could be unless you were going to go, you know, Cats or Les Mis or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah um so how do you want to start or i mean let me ask you this does yours start on a rainy day it does yeah well a rainy rainy night night in london in london yeah and there's uh and we we (laughs) scroll down we we go down not scroll down but we the camera pans down uh you know through and we see the london rooftops and we hear some we hear some really great music we see these uh these in well, yeah, yeah. It's like there's like a really intricate, weird, almost animated, yeah. very introduction. Very, it feels almost like 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 a like an old Broadway set. Like very much feels like a like a surreal. And then we put, go in, cut in through a window that all of a sudden rain drops spatter on it, and then blood spatters on it. Like the fakest rain too. I'm watching yeah. this and realizing it's it not too long ago, two thousand what two thousand two thousand seven. Is that what it was? Um. The CG and, and almost intentionally. Oh, very intentionally. I, I yes, think. very intentionally. Uh, but the, the the rain especially, I I could have done that in After Effects. Absolutely. Like it was very very. Absolutely. Fake. It was incredibly <laughs> fake. But um, we pan into this through this through this uh, through this window, uh, and there's a chair, leather chair sitting there. We we go down this chair and then we go to, down down a hole in the floor, and the title comes up. What is that title, Alex? Sweeney Todd. Yes. I don't. The, I'm not gonna sing the song. The Demon I, Barber of Fleet Street, baby. <laughs> the Demon, Demon ba- Barber of Fleet Street. But there's no place like London. No, there's no place like London. Mr. Todd, you are young. Life has been kind to you. You will. All I could think the whole time watching this movie is the time is the episode of The Office where Andy does the like Let's end the tale of Sweetie Todd. Production. Oh my god, I love it! I love it. <laughs> Here's the thing: so many people 
didn't so many so many musical theater fans that I know did not like this movie, and they did not like this movie. F- really? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. They did not like this movie for for I think the biggest reason was the singing. And here's what here's what I, here's what I will give them. When you have grown up listening to Len Carew or George Hearn and Angela Lansbury doing this on a recording. <laughs> ah, customer! What you rush, what you hurry? You gave me such a fright, I thought she was a ghost. Half a minute, can't you sit, sit you down, sit? All I meant is that I haven't seen a customer for weeks. Who are, again, professionally trained singers, eight shows a week singers. And yeah. they flesh out Sondheim's music, and it sounds a certain way, and you are used to that. Yeah, this is not that. All I meant is that I haven't seen a customer for weeks. Did you come in for a pie, Don't forgive me if me adds a little vibe. What was that? But you think we had the pie from the way that people keep avoiding. No, I don't. didn't, and, and also, you know, what you're cutting is you're cutting the the townspeople. You know, there's some great songs like. God, that's good, which kind of gets cut in half. Which I mean, all the really all the ensemble numbers are cut from this. All the all the ballad interludes are cut yeah. from this. There's a little. There's like some some more stuff with the with the young lovers, the Joanna and um and Anthony. That's cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, green. Um, you know, kiss me is this amazing quartet between Anthony and Joanna and the judge and uh and Beetle Bamford. Mm-hmm. That's cut. All that said, in terms of taking a stage production and making and taking the baton and running with it. There's truly, I don't think there's a better number one. It's my favorite Tim Burton movie of the past. I'd say 20 years now. I just, I just think that his, his, his style, he, he both constrained his style for this movie and his style fit this movie. Yes. I, I think as soon as you give Tim Burton CG, yeah. right. As soon as he transitions from Beetlejuice into the modern era kind of yeah. thing, you lose, you know, his charm was in in taking these illustrative, almost cartoony images and building sets and costumes and and working. He was you know, he was the Ed Wood. He was the Ed Wood of, of his and, day. Yeah, and that and that and that felt very genuine. As soon as you give him an unlimited palette yeah. in the form of CGI with Alice in Wonderland and and all this stuff, it doesn't really fit. But I I found in in Sweeney Todd maybe because it's coming from the stage and there there is no expectation of of realism or anything like that like it the color and the costumes Ugh. and the sets were all in that perfect they were it, it didn't go too nope. far but it wasn't too grounded nope. i was almost and i i have a uh, i bought a nice new tv last year nice, like an OLED, nice. really nice you know and that gets down and like the blacks are just like black it looks like the tv's off yeah um and and this film the the dynamic contrast in this film uh, between the highlights and and the shadows is is unbelievable. Like it just looked beautiful. No, it, it, I mean, uh, Emma was watching. I was on headphones and she was just looking at the screen. She looked at me at one point. She's like, "This looks really good." No, it's <laughs> like, it's shot yeah. it's shot like a black and white film. I mean, he really does light this thing so expertly, and you and you you get a there's just a sense of foreboding. That I don't even know. I mean, honestly, as somebody who's seen it on stage multiple times, um, you know, there's the there's the filmed Broadway version, and then I saw the revival with uh, Michael Cerveris and Patti Lapone, which was which was a, a great in its own right. It had it had I, there's some things that they did that I didn't necessarily agree with, but but it was it was great. But the, the the production that I saw that I think is the best production ever was most recently there was a production. Oh my God, I'm gonna forget the name of this 
theater, but it was a production that was down. I'm looking it up as we speak. It was, I mean, they built the, built the theater into a pie shop. And so it was, it was like, I mean, it was literally the most intimate production that you've ever been in Barrow street theater, the Barrow street theater. And they turned, so you stepped in and like, first of all, the theater is tiny. So like you are, you are sitting in like a, like literally maybe 200, 300 seat theater. And if you get the special seats, you come in like 30 minutes, 45 minutes early and they serve you pies, like actual meat pies. And you're sitting like picnic style. And then the play starts and the actors are like on the tables and like it is, it was terrifying. It's all lit by candlelight. Yeah. Cause, cause to me, Sweeney Todd never really made sense um, without much history of theater. Like it, it there's, there's blood and murder and they're like eating people yeah. And like the the content is very very dark for a musical, but the, I mean, <laughs> right where they're singing these warm songs, uh, it 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 always felt like how does this work? And watching it again made me realize like oh like this and is that's how, I mean and that is I mean this is we we need to just talk about this because you know this goes back to the genius of one man which is Stephen Sondheim. Um, Stephen Sondheim, I think you know he is he's I mean he's the best musical theater composer of all time. And he can you just highlight some of his highlights. I mean, let's let's go through. So Sweeney Todd, Company, Merrily We Roll Along, um, Assassins, which is my other favorite uh, of his uh, Sunday in the Park with George. Um, uh, uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, Passions. Uh, He is, you know, his music, his music is very distinctive. He's able to he's able to blend styles, but it's very complex music. He's writing. He's very much kind of a, a precursor to Lin. Basically, what what Lin does with with rap and spoken word, Sondheim does with music, and it's very much. I think that what I lo- what I've always loved about Sondheim's work is that it it his music sounds like the characters. It's very specific for each character, and every character has their own rhythm and their own melody and their own way of saying things and he 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 really does write dialogue as music i feel you Joanna. i feel you i was half convinced i'd waken satisfied enough to dream you Happily I was mistaken, Joanna. What he knew, what he gets, and what the, I think even the 70s production kind of did a disservice to, in a way, was that you build tension. It's, it's, the, it's, it's the classic, and we talk about this all the time, it's that Hitchcock thing, you put a bomb in the room, right? If you put a, if you, if you put a bomb in the room, if you know that, if you know that a bomb's going to go off, then you can have... You know, in in their in the actors, the the, the characters don't know the bomb is going to go off, but the people watching know the bomb is going to go off. You can have the, the the characters talk about anything you fucking want them to talk about because the longer they talk, the more tense we're going to get. And that is why the music in Sweeney Todd is so warm because so often you are ignoring, like you know that something bad is coming, and so you have them like my favorite, my per the perfect example of this is Pretty Women. Pretty Women is one of the most intense scenes I've ever seen in a movie, let alone a movie musical. Um, when he's, you know, he the first time that he has the judge in the in the barber's chair, right? So he he's there, and uh, this guy who, you know, we we know has killed his wife and stolen his daughter has finally come to Sweeney Todd to get a shave, 
And he just sits him down and, and Mrs. Lovett, his kind of accomplice in all this, has before this instructed him to wait and like to enjoy to enjoy the the you know the the kind of as the plan falls into place so sweeney is in this place of like well you know what i got this guy here let me just play with him like a cat plays with his food for a little bit mr todd at your service an honor to receive your patronage my lord you know me sir who in this wide world does not know the great judge Turpin. and so you just watch him Give this man a shave, this man who he's clearly planning on killing, and you're like, every stroke is like, oh God, is this gonna be it? Is this gonna be it? What more can man require? More than love, sir. More than love, sir. What's that? Women. Ah, yes, women. Pretty women. Which is also not a not a new trope, right? The like the razor blade on the throat as you're shaving. Oh, like, it's, yep. Because the the tiniest movement could end yep. very very badly. But in this, but in this const, in this in this situation, you have a dude singing a song. You two dudes, yeah. sing a beautiful duet. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh. and 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 the judge played by Alan oh. Rickman, which we'll talk yeah, about. We Alan, talk Rickman, about Alan Rickman uh, is is disabled in this yeah. right it's not just he's sitting there quietly waiting for a shave but they're bonding yeah. right they're talking he, he thinks that he's making a friend and he's enjoying himself and there's smiles and there's there's like if you didn't know any better <laughs> oh my god you wouldn't think anything's going on but but obviously given everything that's come before you know that this guy basically like killed his wife uh or so he thinks and and took his daughter and he's like you know it's the villain in this man's life story it really and alan rickman in this movie shows you how much can be done with little because he's very subtle in this movie but it really you just you just know this judge as soon as you see alan rickman and the judge is usually like cast in the stage plays cast as like a decrepit old man and it's very disgusting alan rickman is incredibly handsome you know they give him like these long fingernails but like he is a dad yeah. he's still alan Rick. he's dashing as hell i mean this is you know dashing. hans gruber um you know uh he is wonderful in this part. It is such an amazing part for him because he doesn't play the villainy. Like he just, he, he just allows him to be like certainly an imposing guy, but like um, a society man and, and with a, just a sorted fucking past past. And um, yeah, yeah, dude, that scene breaks my heart. And, And you know, and the other person who breaks my heart in this movie is Johnny Depp. I think this is John. I think this is one of his best roles. I really do. I, I think so. And I mean, we were talking about Les Mis and, and the the difficulty yeah. of bringing a stage actor, whether they sing, you know, aside or not, but somebody who has spent their entire career um, on film and not on stage. Um, I was not for one moment in this film distracted by the fact that it was Johnny Depp. Not singing, one moment. Right. In almost any other situation, you think, oh, it's Johnny Depp. Like, maybe just don't sing Johnny Depp. Like, like you're a great actor, but you don't you're trying too hard. But it didn't feel like that in this. Like the music and the tone that he had and everything felt it felt organic to the character and what Johnny Depp was bringing to the character. Like it all felt like it blended that it could have been an original that this wasn't a show before. Like this could have been an original, you know, creation. Well, and, it, and it brought him back to the Edward Scissorhands days when all, when he was just, you know, he was an eye actor. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, you know, and this is the kid from 21 jump street coming in and like giving you 
this virtuosic performance in Edward Scissorhands that was like, what the hell Charlie Chaplin is this? And he does the same. It's like he builds upon it here. It's just very, you know, and, and I loved, I mean, again, you talk about improving upon the script. In my opinion, I've always felt that in the stage musical, Sweeney Todd talks entirely too much. He talks too much. We don't need to like, like the, what's scary about Sweeney is that Sweeney isn't, he, you know, Mrs. Right. Lovett talks. Sweeney is action. Sweeney is I do or I don't do. Sweeney is, is vengeance. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you see this man who is just completely consumed with rage and, and has, and vengeance has driven him mad and he can't utter but one or two words. And the words that he can utter are so mumbled. Do you know what I mean? Like he's not there, but for anybody, but his own hatred. Yeah. And, and, and it does it so uh, effectively. Hold on. I just pieced this together. So I, I think that, that the fact that Sweeney doesn't like, the, the the theme of the film is revenge, yes. right? And the consequences of revenge, and you know that whole like if you if you seek revenge, dig two yes, graves. That, very that much whole so. kind of thing. Very much so. Very much so. Um, it comes at, like like the film starts knowing exactly where Sweeney yep. is. It it goes through the backstory in like a minute, yep. and you understand. Okay, you see him young. You know what the judge did. You know that he's back to London for revenge. And it never lets off that. And everything that happens, every character, even when Sweeney's not involved, Lean. everything that happens is still circling Sweeney's revenge. Everything. The whole Every movie. single thing. Everything. And 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 so, yeah. And, and so Johnny Depp, like, he doesn't have to talk that no. much. Because every time you see him, he's laser focused on what he's doing. And, the, and his focus becomes a point like you're, you know... They try and, and talk him off it like you need to chill a little yep. bit, and he just doesn't know how to chill. Yeah, um, and and the fact that the movie keeps that so on point the whole time is is very impressive. Yeah, it's totally. And and I'm I'm looking here and I'm seeing that it actually is based. So Sweeney Todd. I mean, obviously the story of Sweeney Todd, the the goat, the leg, the legend of Sweeney Todd has been around you know for many many years. Um, very much a Victorian Victorian era London. Is it like a true no, thing? No, well, I, well, I think actually it might be based on somebody. Uh it's it was no, he came from Penny Dreadfuls in the early um or the mid 1800s in London. Um I'm sure that it was only but he he was a character before he was, Sondheim. He was definitely a character before Sondheim because there was a play that was written by Christopher Bond called Sweeney Todd. Um, and that was in 1973 and then 1979, they come out with the musical and the book by Hugh Wheeler, um, who was the, was the, the screenwriter who wrote it. And again, I think that it really is this, you know, there's a, there, the, the exposition is handled beautifully and that's, that's the one thing, you know, Sweeney Todd is just a, a really a brilliant, it, it teaches you so well, how, you know, I think for any writer, um, not just the movie, but the stage version as well. You know, Sondheim gives you the the legend song, Attend the Tale of Sweeney Todd, which is the ballad. And that sets up the mood. But that doesn't tell you anything mm-hmm. about the story. They tell you that Sweeney's a scary man. They tell you that he's he's going to, he's like, uh, he, it's like almost, like almost like you're hearing a ghost story. But they're not narrators. Nobody's narrating, right? When, when the characters come out and sing that song, it's very much just about setting up like, we, we, you are here for a ghost story and we're going to scare the crap out of you. And, th- and right. then the story starts and there's no exp like you, you learn a little bit about like all the exposition is told to you through characters who don't know. So like 
you are learning as the characters learn, which is exactly what we want. And they hold off the full tale of Sweeney Todd, right, of his history, until about 20 minutes, like 20, 30 minutes into the, into the story, when once you've met Mrs. Lovett, right? So by the time we get there, we're waiting to hear what the hell happened to this guy. And so it fulfills that need beautifully when we, for, when we learn it. Um, yeah. You know, and it, it really is this, this masterful kind of stroke of storytelling in the way that they do that. And the movie does the same thing. You, you open with no exposition, right? Cause there's no ballad of Sweeney Todd and you just open with a, a sense of dread. You open with these guys on a boat and then you, he steps off the boat and he goes to this pie shop and Mrs. Lovett's talking to him about pies and, then she tells him this story about this this barber who had a wife, you know, and and you again just because of the musical motif, there was a barber and his wife that was used in the first in, in the first scene. You you automatically know that she's talking about him without her saying she's talking about him. And really, just I mean, I can't. I could talk for days about the brilliance of this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, yeah. So right from the get go, he descend, he's descending on London. Yep. Right, he's on the yep. boat. He meets this innocent kid. Uh, he's not mean. You, you almost sympathize with him from the start because he's not mean yeah. to this kid yep. who is just trying to get by. But he immediately says how he hates this town and he remains and he goes to the pie shop and he's focused on getting upstairs to his old apartment where he used to live. He quietly puts up with the noise around. Yep. Right. Um, what, what was her Ms. name? Lo- Mrs. Lovett. I, Ms. Lovett. He, he sits and listens to Mrs. Lovett's whole you know, pie song and all that and sits there. Doesn't have to really say anything before she realizes that that's who it is. Reclaims and she's kind of falling in love with him. And then they're figuring out how to get the judge and build the business and do all these things. And the whole time, he's not actually mentally involved in really any of it. He He is only focused, even when he pretends to be doing something else, he is only focused on getting to the judge and killing Can I him. say, can I just jump in and say the biggest, the best example of that is probably my favorite Johnny Depp moment in the movie. And I think, I think he was nominated for this. And I think that this moment probably is what got him the nomination, which was My Friends, when he's singing to the Razor. Mm-hmm. These are my friends. What a beautiful is, scene oh my that God. was. And that's, that is the kind of stuff, again, so if you've ever, see, now you got me, now you got me going, and I'm about to go listen to all the Sondheim I have, because he is just genius at this stuff. So my friends, who in their right mind would think of writing a song for your lead character when he sings to the goddamn razors that he's going to use to kill people, <laughs> and he calls them his friends, and yet... In doing it, in the simple act of this man deeming these razors his friends, you understand how lonely this man is. You understand how Mm -hmm. lost this man is. And you understand how hell-bent on vengeance. And because the song is like like a beautiful song, right? It's not like he's like, like, 
angry. It's heartfelt. It's I mean, heartfelt. it's it's a romance song, and and the whole time contrasted by Mrs. Lovett standing behind him, oh. kind of being like, "You're beautiful. Oh, I wish I could be with it's you." It's heartbreaking. You know, which which is really he should be singing this song to her yep. or to somebody yep. human, and yet, and instead he's singing it to what represents. I mean, what I what I assume represents his revenge. his revenge. The only thing he has um, left. He has nothing left. The only thing he has left. Oh, dude, I could. It's so so. I'm a high tenor. I it will be it would be very hard for me to play Sweeney Todd on an eight show week, but let me tell you how much I wish I could play Sweeney Todd. I I freaking love this character. I love this movie. Um, it is just such. I mean, I would pay money just to see you with that shock of white in your dude, hair, dude. Dude, and that's not even in the show. That was like that's a t- yeah. Is that, I was gonna say is that a show no, thing or is that a, a Johnny? That's Depp a thing? Tim Burton thing. I mean. Brilliant, 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 addition. brilliant shock. Well, but you know what it does? It foreshadows because the thing that is in the play is that uh, spoiler alert: when young Tobias comes up from the sewers to kill Sweeney, that his hair has gone white. That isn't. That isn't it. Oh, really? yeah. Because the idea. I mean, the idea. I mean, and that's again. You talk about a fucked up story. You know, this kid. So you know, Mrs. Lovett adopts this this young lad who is you know his his former guardian was the was the first victim of Sweeney Todd's vengeance uh this guy who's going to blackmail him to expose him played brilliantly by Sasha Baron Cohen I freaking I swear to god because like again tangent but when Sasha Baron Cohen comes in he does this amazing like this thing that's so much better than any of the other than any other Pirelli that I've seen where Pirelli comes in and he's like this very showboaty Italian whatever and then the scene where he drops it and he's like, and he's just like some, some cockney asshole. Mr. Toad, Signor Pirelli. Call me David. David Connor's a name that's not professional. Alarm with five quid back if you don't mind. And it's just so grounded and real. You're like, oh shit, you're gonna die. <laughs> you're gonna die. <laughs> and it's just so you're like, oh god damn it. But this kid who has had suspicions about Sweeney Todd the whole time. There's so many. There's so many people in in this show. I think one of the themes of the show as well is like unrequited love. People who like love mm-hmm. people who just can't who Absolutely. see that love. And Tobias love the same way that Mrs. Lovett loves Todd. Tobias loves Mrs. Lovett, and um. Yep he is always trying to protect her. He sings, you know, no one's going to harm you. And then she, which is heartbreaking, heartbreaking. to see her reaction to <sighs> that. Cause it's such a warm moment. Like, Oh my God. Like, like maybe they'll bond and they'll leave Todd and go live. She'll raise him and they'll live together. And then, and then you see her sh- like shuffle him off the kid, the kid off because she's so focused on Todd, even though, you know, Todd is only focused on, on the job. It's, it's hard. No, it's truly yeah. the dynamic of, of the relationships is so, and it's so crystal clear. Yeah, it, what what and without about, like, again just through song you understand these things yeah. and but the yeah. but point being they lock him in you know they lock him in the in the basement where all these mutilated dead bodies are and he's down there for hours and by the time he comes up you know this poor kid who's already had like let's be real tobias has had a terrible life thus far is like shocked white so his hair turns white in the play and and they kept it for the movie and it's such a nice I didn't even notice yeah. that. It's such a it's and it's it. such a nice nod, right? Because it's it it foreshadows the trauma that Tobias is going to go through that that Sweeney Todd went through. Now now is when we first meet Tobias, he's working for Sasha Baron yep. Cohen for Pretty um Pirelli Pretty Pirelli. Uh, he's wearing a yes, wig, he is. right? Because Pirelli makes a hair tonic and all that, but he's got this fake head of hair on. And the the first time you see him take it off is when he feels comfortable with Mrs. Yep. Lovett. Yep downstairs in the in the meat shop so 
and then his hair turns white at the end. So is that is that no? It, I mean, abso- absolutely. I mean, I think I mean thematic because device. that's it, that his hair is the color of that wig, and that's and that's the same right. in in the play too. It's a brilliant little thing. It's like you know, very much a foreshadowing. Um, the other, you know, I love, I love. I mean, you know, the use of hair as kind of a plot device and a connector of characters. You know, um, Joanna gets locked up in a in a in a mental hospital where they you know use they cut people's hair to make wigs right you know i mean like there's so many references to shedding of who you are and becoming something else and and even mrs lovett mrs lovett you know spoiler alert is the person who uh you know i mean she buries the fact that his his wife you like talk about burying the lead she bears the fact that his wife is still alive you know and and it really is the you know it's her her doom but like everybody is shedding a past and trying to make a future in this show. And that is the other, that's, that's the other heartbreaking thing about it. Everybody's just trying to get somewhere better and, and they have hope for that. And, and I love, I love, they kept this kind of sense. They changed a lot of the lines, but they kept the sense. There's a sense with Joanna and Anthony, you know, whenever you have these young lovers in musicals, it's like they meet for a day and then they're in love and they're going to get married. It's oh, like that's yeah. It was very lame. Very lame is to me. But, but this one, has always had the sense of like, you know, these people aren't going to like, this isn't going to work out. Like, this is like, like there's just a sense of foreboding because she is traumatized. She's been like, she spent her entire teenage years being like violated by this older man. And now she was just, you know, threatened. Her life was threatened by, by this guy who she doesn't know is her father. Like she's had a traumatic freaking life. Yeah. You know, and and so when she comes out and he's like it's it's all going to be okay and she's like no it won't. Like it's not. She's like yeah, what what do you think? We're just going to go away and live happily ever after. He's like yeah, I hope he's so. Like, it's like <laughs> his response wasn't like oh maybe you're right nope. or you know, oh let like you have to believe. It was just like this naive <sighs> well yeah. It's so it's yeah, we're going to try. It's so crazy, man. I can't I can't speak enough good things about yeah, please, you know, let us know what you think, what your pick would be. And so, some of the cast combinations, too. Yeah, before, before we, we close, close this off. off. Yeah. Some of the cast combinations, I mean, speaking of Les Mis, the fact that Sasha Perry uh, Cohen... Um, and Helen Bonham Carter. And Helen Bonham Carter are together, <laughs> again, which in Les Mis, they play the Thenardiers. Uh, and then also just seeing Alan Rickman and uh, Timothy <laughs> oh Small my God. paired together. In like peak Potter period too, this is like Snape and Wormtail it's <laughs> together. literally half the cast of... Actually, when when did Prisoner of Azkaban... Even... Because, Prisoner, yeah, uh... you would have had... It... Uh, 2004. So this was like this was like two or three years after Prisoner of Azkaban where Snape and... Wor- Snape, like, Wormtail, and, and, and Bellatrix. Have, have, and Bellatrix have been in the... Like literally the exact same position. Yeah. You know, Helena Bonham Carter's got the same hair, yep. basically. <laughs> um, it... Yeah, it's beautiful. It's, no, it's it really is a beautiful and and I again and even even numbers like um and this is my favorite thing, right? Cuz in a musical, you know, Sweeney Todd was never a dance musical. And I think that, you know, I think that we misunderestimate dance. And I'll go back to Cats and say like dance is a beautiful art form and and should be used as often as possible. But I love a good musical that's a walk and talk. I love what I love oh, when yeah. you can show that musicals can stand without dance. And the one time that they do use dance, it's not really dance, but dancing. 
uh, is when Sweeney's dancing with Mrs. Uh, Lovett and he's got the giant cleaver in he's his He's got the hand. cleaver. She's got the rolling pin. He holds her hand with the knife in it. And it's just, they're doing this dance, like swinging around each other. And they're both holding on to things that they have. And again, and again um, music, musically and foreshadowing Mrs. Lovett's death, right? Because it's mm-hmm. the same dance. And then he, th- right. and he throws her into the furnace. Isn't Correct. that crazy? Man, it's, that's so it's good. Such, that's what I'm saying. Like, And this is, this is I think, what we want to take from this. If you are like if you write your musical smart there's nothing that i i swear to god there's nothing that beats a smart musical there's nothing that beats a musical like yes there's all there's room for popcorn there's room for fluff but like you can do some amazing stuff well because it yeah it's one more ethereal element right you have visual you have dialogue you have editing and you you everything that makes a movie and then music on which is a whole other layer on top of it and you just get this this mountain of glorious oh, it's so good dude i i really i yeah Amazing. i want to i i really do love it and and i suggest if you really if you have not seen the movie version please see the movie version it is such a masterwork and um everyone is great very very everyone's good. great so uh so for next week we come back we'll part two um to do part two which is the play the, play. the non-musical stage to screen adaptation yes. Uh, I'd say get at us so we can talk about it on the show, but uh, we may have recorded. Yeah, we may have recorded. But either way, I mean, tweet at us. Tweet at us with what your favorite stage to screen adaptations are, musical or movie or or play, um, and we will we'll talk we'll talk on the twitters and uh, you know uh, just yeah follow us on Twitter at Lil Justice Pod L I L J U S T I C E Pod and the same on Instagram now L I L J U S T I C E Pod. Um, and we will be in touch that way. So uh, until 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 the plays, my friend, next week. Until next time. Bye. Little Justice. Little Justice. Little Justice. Fuck yeah. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the Rise Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. Rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.